Welcome to the BK Show podcast. This is episode number 26, and this is actually going to be the final episode of the year that was 2020. Uh, and you might be asking why. There's still a couple weeks left in the year. Well, I put out an awesome, awesome episode over Thanksgiving thinking, hey, people will have more free time uh, and they'll have more time to listen to this episode. And I was wrong. Uh, people are busy and you certainly shouldn't expect people to want to listen to stuff. And and we're all different. For me, I am a podcast junkie and I would have found a hundred different ways to listen to even more podcasts Uh in my free time, right? Or, or played Call of Duty, who knows? But this is going to be the last one. I want to give people the opportunity to go back. We have had so many amazing episodes, including today's episode, uh, that I hopefully want to touch on, give people the opportunity to go back and listen, and maybe do some giveaways too. We'll see if I can get a hold of some of the old podcast guests and see what we can do. Uh, so this will be the last one of 2020. I'm going to take a couple weeks off, and we will come back January 5th. Uh, so today's episode, I am joined by Andre Sadlock. Andre just sold his Amazon FBA business for half a million dollars. Uh, I met him a few years ago at a conference, and when I saw that he sold, uh, I knew I had to get him on here to tell his story. He tells some uh, pretty cool stories in his journey along the way that I hadn't heard elsewhere on some other podcasts he had been on. And I wanted to know, you know, why do you sell? What now? Where are you going to invest? And I, I really wanted to give you, the listener, the opportunity to hear about the Amazon FBA business model a little more in depth. And we actually talked through exactly how you could get started. I think it's one of the easiest business models to get started. If you're still sitting on the sidelines and you're like, man, I enjoy what, what I hear on, on Ben's podcast, on some other podcasts, and I want to get started. This is an easy way. And so we actually walk you through step-by-step on how to get started. And then I think you'll be uh, inspired by Andre's journey and, and you know, selling for half a million dollars is pretty cool. And so I think you'll hear the excitement in his voice. Uh, look, I don't want to hold you up too much. I do want to just say one more time. This is the last episode of 2020. Thank you so much. I'm going to do something in the outro here to, to, to say thank you. And, and so if, you, if you're if you one of those people that skips through some episodes, make sure you listen to the outro. I want to personally thank you for listening. But uh, without further ado, let's jump into today's podcast. Andre Sidelock, welcome to the show, buddy. How you doing? Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Doing great. How have you been? I've been awesome. I don't think I've talked to you like actual face-to-face since I first met you, right? I was at... Uh, Brand Builder Summit, uh, Ryan Moran's uh, summit that he put on, which I wish he'd bring back, was actually pretty fun. And you're walking down the hallway with, and I forget the kid's name, but he stops me and he's like, Ben Kanegendorf, you host the Taste <laughs> Take Consistent Action Podcast. And that had been years since I had done that before. And I was like, what? I'm a, I'm a celebrity for one moment here. And I talked to him and then that's where I met you. We talked for a little while. And then I think the, the owner of uh, Cozy Phones walked by. And we yeah, talked to him for a little while true. as well. And I was just like, wow, what a what a what a cool experience to be here 10 minutes, right? And and to meet these three people. So Yeah, that was a fun random conversation in the hallway, that's for sure. <laughs> it's good to finally connect again, right? And, and little did I know you were in Vancouver where I was there in February visiting uh, our mutual friends Tom and Abdul and Kayvon. And uh, I would have connected with you too. I didn't actually know you were in Vancouver. Yeah, I was quiet for a while because I don't know, weather here is different and it kind of changes the personality. <laughs> Vancouver is cool. I can't wait for COVID to be over and, and come back up there. I was impressed with. Oh yeah, uh, I love the city. The city, and and I'm just a huge fan of Abdul and Tom and Kayvon, all of which have been guests on the show. So if you haven't heard them, definitely go check them out. But look, I want to talk about you. I want to hear your story, man. Like uh, you seemed super interesting when I met you uh, outside of Austin at that conference. Now you've recently sold your business for a half a million dollars, which has to be an amazing, amazing feeling. Uh, certainly, I've exited uh, for similar numbers, and it's it's fun. Um, and I and I kind of want to dive into that. I want to hear your story. I want to know what you're doing now, where you're going to put your money, uh, what the selling process was like. I want to hear everything, buddy. So you start us off wherever you want to start. I, I just want to hear your journey. 
Sure, happy to share. Well, for everyone who doesn't know me yet, I'll give a little bit of a background of where I'm coming from, who I'm about, what I'm about. Uh, so I'm an immigrant, clearly, by the accent you can say I'm not, I didn't grow up in North America. I'm originally from Ukraine. I moved to Canada about seven years ago, originally Toronto. Um, then I moved to British Columbia, the beautiful part of this country, worked in real estate development for a little while. And that's when I started this e-commerce gig in the beginning. Fell in love with the entire world of online businesses uh, and uh, ended up only doing e-commerce for the last couple of years or so. And uh, just as you mentioned, I recently exited the business, which is huge for me as an immigrant. I don't think my parents have ever made that much money as I did with this exit. So it does feel amazing. Yet at the same time, it feels like this is only the beginning. It's, it's, not, it, it's not that huge anymore in my mind. And I just feel that this is a proof of concept. Now do something even more impactful, you know. Where are your parents now? Are they still in Europe? Everyone's still in Ukraine. Yeah, in Europe. That's crazy. When did what, what age were you when you came over? Twenty three. What was the like? What was the moment where you're like, I'm going, I'm going to go over to North America? What talk me through that? As at twenty three, I was a moron, like really, really dumb, <laughs> making very poor decisions. So I'm curious, you know, how you uh, had the smarts to do that. I think I made enough of poor decisions right before that uh, in order to learn from them, <laughs> make a good decision moving forward, because I definitely do not regret moving to Canada. Uh, at that time, I was basically looking at, hey, where can I immigrate and build myself as an entrepreneur? And obviously, North America is the place to be, at least, at least it was in my mind, if you want to build a business. Uh, and uh, I looked at the immigration process in the United States. It seemed ridiculous. It was pretty much impossible for me to immigrate. I'm not a scholar or anything like that. No, not a genius in any way, shape or form. So I looked at other countries and the closest second one is Canada, just north of the border, right? And Canada seemed to be way more welcoming for immigrants. I think it still is. Uh, so in my mind, it was like, hey, I can put five years into this and end up with the Canadian citizenship. If I don't like it, at least I have something that like the passport that lets me travel anywhere without any issues. Because as Ukrainian back then, you would have to apply for a visa anywhere you go. Mm. And that's quite frustrating. So that was pretty much the decision-making process. <laughs> I'm super ignorant. So like you just said, it's super hard to get in the U.S. and it was easier to get into Canada. Can you like just yeah. can you talk about that? I'm, I'm genuinely curious what that process looks like. I just I'm so ignorant being an American and, you know, like I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess take it for granted. Like being in North America is, is amazing. And having uh, residency here and growing up here, like opportunities are endless. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not an, an immigrant, immigration consultant or anything. I don't know much about what's happening right now. But <laughs> at, at that time, I was like, hey, I can either pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, which I didn't have, to get an education somewhere in the United States. And then there's still no guarantee that I'll be able to get the work visa or anything like that. You still have to be sponsored by someone, as far as I know. So the company has to be your employee for years to come. And then eventually you may be able to qualify for the green card. While in Canada, it's a little simpler if you got education there. And for me, it was just the simplest, fastest way to immigrate. Two semesters, which gets me one year of work permit automatically. No questions asked. I can do whatever I want with that work permit, work for anyone. It's open. Um, and I was like, hey, at least by the end of that year of working in Canada, I'll be able to determine whether I want to stay. Uh, that education is probably valuable anywhere else in the world because Canada has that brand of being good for education. Um, so yeah, after one year, basically applied for immigration. Um, the rest is history. Really, five years, and I think three months later, I was holding my Canadian passport and I was flying to Southeast Asia with it. 
happy as clam <laughs> what can you do in the meantime just out of curiosity when you're here and you're you know you're you have the two semesters can you can you travel or is it still everything like based in ukraine like you would have to apply everywhere else uh well i, I still had my ukrainian passport up, up until like two years ago when i got my canadian citizenship but uh you're you're open to do whatever you want you can travel off and on anywhere you need uh it's not like when you enter canada there's no way you can get back like it's it's fairly democratic that way and you can work for anyone and as long as you qualify you collect these points to immigrate to canada you're good and you collect points by knowing english by having work experience locally uh and, and in your home country too uh, education and if education is Canadian, you get a lot more points than anywhere else. So that's how they incentivize people to invest in their kids' education. And then somebody, let's say 23 year old, comes over, pays for the education, and he's ready to pay taxes moving forward. No social services paid for them up until that point, right? So that's quite a smart model, in my opinion. So were you a Canadian citizen when I met you in Austin, or was that a process you had to go through to be able to come to that conference? I think I was still, I think I was still permanent resident, so not not a Canadian passport holder, most likely. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I was still in the process of applying and stuff like that. So yeah, it's not that hard. Was it a nightmare to get to Austin then at that point? Uh, not anymore, because uh, if you if you're already in Canada, it's easy to get the United States visa because uh, you have some ties with Canada. Like Americans look at people from Canada differently, even though I still had Ukrainian passport. So it's already easier when you're here in Canada. That's for sure. You, you immigrate to Canada. That's awesome. Thanks for explaining that. Cause I'm, I'm super, <laughs> I have no idea how the process works, uh, but cool. You're in Canada and like what sparks your, your interest to, to go from, you know, two semesters in school to like starting something online. I think you were a, a real estate uh, person in between there, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. My last corporate job was in real estate development. So not an agent, but more like business side of construction. Um, well, yeah, my, my original job, very first job in Toronto was in logistics, but it was more like customer service. And I wanted that kind of experience because it was uncomfortable. I had to learn local culture, how to, how to speak, how to ask questions, how do you convince them to go with your service versus somebody else's. So that was super instrumental. My salary was funny. I think it was like 35 K Canadian. Uh, and, but I was happy as, as clam cause that seemed like a lot of money at that point, but I learned a lot and I always knew that I wanted to get into real business, uh, and logistics. It was like actually luxury relocations. It didn't really feel right to me knowing my interest. Like I studied architecture back, back home. Uh, my parents were in retail businesses, so I knew I had to get into something more exciting than that. So I was applying for jobs in real estate because I knew that there's money there. And I also wanted to be in British Columbia, which made it a little more difficult, but I was committed to getting a job in British Columbia on the West side. Uh, and I was fortunate to find something like that. So I found the job remotely. They basically invited me for interview. They like me, I like them. A few months later, they sent me the offer, so I moved. It was in the middle of, 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 uh, of the winter, uh, February, I believe, when we were moving. So I just packed everything to my Jetta, and we drove all the way from Toronto to Cologne. It was like five days. <laughs> That's a haul. That's yeah. crazy. But where, where's, the, where's the spark for like e-commerce, right? Like you're, you're in the real estate thing. You're in Vancouver, which... I have to assume is booming at that time. There's a, there's just a lot, of, a lot going on there. And so like, where's the spark to say, I want to do something different. 
Yeah, so it was, it was Kelowna first, like a small retirement community compared to Vancouver. Still a nice place, wineries and stuff, lifestyle is amazing. But I quickly learned doing that real estate development job that it's always going to require me to trade my time for money. And I don't have that location independence that I was dreaming about. Like the main goal of me moving to Canada was to be free and be anywhere I want at any time, right? Uh, and with that job, I was like, oh, these North American people are weird. They have like two weeks vacation, maybe three weeks if you're good. And you've been with the company for a few years. It's crazy. Like I want my freedom, right? <laughs> I started looking into options, what, what I can actually do that allows me to uh, travel and have more vacation and have that freedoms that basically anyone really wants. And uh, it, for me, it works through people. Like all, any big shift in my life usually comes through people I meet. And that was not exception. I talked to someone who was successful with uh, a Facebook marketing agency. They connect me, connected me with somebody who was already doing the Amazon FBA game. And that person was able to explain, hey, here's what I do. This is real. That's how it works. It, what it, that's what it takes. And I, I was able to ask questions when I started researching products. And yeah, that, that connection made all the difference. Started, started on researching. I love that you call it a game. Like you said, they're in the Amazon <laughs> FBA. It is a game to me. Like, it is. Uh, so I have some FBA products. Uh, I've launched a few before. I've been in partnerships where it was in all Amazon business. And it really is a game. It's like, can you go on there, find out what's winning and, and make a better product and step in front of there? Um, it, Amazon's got the traffic. Amazon has the logistics covered for you. If you can be honestly a, a half-assed marketer, you can probably do pretty, pretty good on Amazon FBA if you're willing to take the risk. Uh, and again, just go find where you can like make a difference uh, in your product. So are, you didn't take any courses. You just like talked to the guy and, and he got you fired up enough to go discover a product? Yeah, I was still cheap. My salary wasn't super high, so there, <laughs> there was no budget for courses. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I better learn with my mistakes and lose a few thousand that I would lose in a course, but I, I would know for sure what the process is, you know. Uh, but I definitely have nothing against courses. I know that some people are crushing it because of they took the right course. So it's just the way I did it and no regrets. Now I probably would take a course, but back then wasn't an option. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan of, of, of courses, mentors and masterminds. It's actually a question I want to ask you later on, but like, let's talk through, let's talk through that beginning process. Cause I guarantee there's people listening who are like, I've heard of this Amazon FBA thing. How do I get started? I truly think in the next 10 minutes, you and I could explain it well enough that everybody listening could go launch a product on Amazon. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. It's not that hard. Fire away, man. Walk through the beginning process of you finding your product and I'll, I'll throw in some tidbits along the way. Because if this helps one person launch a product and exit for a half a million dollars like you did, then this podcast served its purpose. Exactly. Yeah, I'm down for that. Well, so... You have to start with research and products and research entails basically estimating how much demand there is and whether there's enough supply and whether you can improve the existing competition and make something better. That that was my thinking because I didn't want just to sell a me too product, something that's already existing and you just found a way to source it. It, it did, didn't feel like I'm adding value that way. So I was looking for something where I can make a difference. Uh, and there are some plugins, like a lot of Amazon sellers use them daily. Um, stuff like Helium 10, Jungle Scout, um, what's the other one? Wire Launch, that can scrape some information, a lot of data from Amazon.com and give you a very good idea of what the numbers are like. So you can basically see how much revenues uh, different products collect on daily or monthly basis. 
And then you can look how many reviews they have. And they, you can read all of, all of these reviews and then you can see whether people are generally happy and you can see whether it's easy to compete with the, in that market uh, with that specific niche. So I was looking at about 100 products that way, like day in and day out for months. And I narrowed it down to 50, then I narrowed it down to top 10, and then I narrowed it down to top three that seem to be like the best opportunity right now to enter there and make a difference. And within those three, uh, my product, uh, which was Scratch Off Maps, seemed like the only one I could easily stand out with and make a difference. I looked at the competition. They were looking like shit, honestly, and all made in China, super low quality, super cheap. Uh, the margins were healthy. So like, I was like, okay, with my design background, I can actually make this way better. And given I'm a perfectionist overall, like I know myself, I'm not going to sell something that's not perfect. I can make it much better quality-wise too, package it well, and be real and open. And because I have that experience traveling, be relatable and build a community around this. And that was my goal. I wanted to build a brand right of the bat, right of the bat. I actually built a Facebook community for travelers even before I had the product ready because I wanted it to be more like a movement, more like a like a, a group of like-minded people than just a product. You know, right, I got a million things I want to poke holes in there. Number one, like, Go ahead. so did you did you use Jungle Scout, Viral Launch, any of those tools to like do your? I research? did. Which one did yeah. you use? I think back then it was Jungle Scout. Okay. So I've literally never used a tool. This might sound crazy, uh, but there's a manual way to do it too, right? Like you can go, you know, start digging into pro I like to look at products I know a little bit, right? So I'll start digging into products mm -hmm. I know. You can see at about halfway down the page is the Amazon bestsellers rank. You're gonna want to use the the top level category, not the like middle category that they're in or or subcategories. Then you can go to fbatoolkit.com, go to that category, type in their number. You're going to see their sales per day. You can go to back to Google, type in Amazon FBA calculator, pull the BSR from that product, put it in the calculator, and you'll kind of see the profit they're making, right? And then do the math yourself. Mm -hmm. So Jungle Scout makes this way, way easier. I'm kind of a cheapo sometimes, and that's where I <laughs> cheaped out. I just didn't buy those tools. So everything I've ever launched, I didn't use those tools. Uh, I just kind of looked at trends and, and, and did the numbers. And then again, like you said, you found a hundred products that fit this criteria. I think anybody, again, anybody listening can go find a hundred products that fit this criteria of like, it sells well, there's not a lot of competition, the reviews are low and the reviews are bad, right? Like, so can you walk us through what, how you went from 100 down to three and then how you went from three to one, uh, like specific, like, is there specifics that stand out in your mind of like why you threw some out the window and why you, you know, kept some and how it got narrowed down? Back then I was not the smartest person. So I was basically just looking at numbers only and not even all the right numbers because my product was oversized in size and most gurus would tell you, hey, don't launch anything big, right? Because you pay way more for shipping storage and, and FBA fees and stuff like that. So I was basically looking at numbers and uh, top three were like the, the most interesting numbers wise. I could see that there's a huge demand and not that many reviews. And I was like, I, I had no idea how you collect reviews and stuff like that. But I was like, okay, if somebody with a hundred reviews sells for like 30, 40 K a month, and most of them do, there's no like two, three big players and everybody else isn't really doing well, then yeah, it's a good market. And maps were just, I don't know, gut feeling. I was looking at that. I was like, oh, it's probably easy to launch. And for me having no experience whatsoever, the online marketing, I was like, it's, it's an easy product. It's just a poster. It has to have that unique feature of being able to scratch off places you've been to. And I can see that those ones that sell like crazy don't, do not look that well. And that was about it. I was like, I can make this better. And I didn't want to launch a product that 
didn't have any differentiation. And I knew that design is an easy differentiation. If you make it really much better, then you can justify higher price, right? How did you know that they were, the competition was crap, right? Were you reading reviews and seeing people? Subjective opinion. First of all, subjective opinion, because I don't know, I, I, I thought of myself as someone who understands design well, because I studied architecture and I looked at those maps and it, to me, it looked like cheap product and they were selling for 25, 30 bucks. I'm like, it doesn't feel like it's worth it, you know? <laughs> and I ordered some of them. Like I studied competition inside out, all the finals, everything they do. I, I looked at everything I could and also I ordered some samples from China and I wanted to source from China, but I ended up sourcing in, in Europe, in my home country, in Ukraine. I didn't know them, but it just made sense quality-wise. I could achieve much better quality and be unique that way too. So I heard you mention this on uh, our mutual friend, Tom. Tom was on my show, I believe episode number 10, uh, and you were on his podcast recently. And I heard you mention that by moving to Ukraine, you were actually able to produce a better map. And, I, and it didn't really click for me until you mentioned it on that show that like China has a completely different view of what countries look like uh, versus what the rest of the world thinks countries look like. And so, like, did you run into that right away? Did you see that on other maps of of the discrepancies there of how China views the world? Or did you did you find that out when you moved to Ukraine? Uh, no, I, I learned that as I was getting samples from Chinese because I designed the map I'd like it to be designed using United Nations map as a sample and adjusting it to make it easy to use for tracking purposes. But when I was getting the samples. Chinese were like uh, saying to me, okay, we'll do the sample for you. But if you decide to go with us, you'll have to adjust the design. And I was like, what do I need to adjust? Like you have to change Taiwan and Hong Kong to look like they're Chinese and show the outline of the South Chinese Sea. So everybody knows that this is all China and stuff like that. Some borderlines around Nepal, like lots of things that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. And everybody else just did it because it's much cheaper to make things in China. So I was concerned already, but the final decision-making item was like the quality was good. Like the quality was very simple, map would arrive damaged right away, scratched a little bit. And the technology they use in Europe is different. Basically, the coding material uh, is done in a way, it's more like foil-based, that it's fairly impossible to scratch it accidentally, only intentionally. And I like that. It looked premium. The shine was nice. And I didn't have to adjust the design. I could show it the way that the rest of the world understands uh, the politics and the, 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 the situation with the country and borders and stuff like that. So were the manufacturers in China like adamant that they could not produce a United Nations style? Man? They would get fined. Yeah, they would That's get insane. fined if, if uh, the export whatever entity checks, they'd be able to see, oh, they're exporting maps. We've got to check them because it's maps and China's very adamant about what the map has to look like. What a crazy world we live in to think that they they can't even export maps that look different than what their government tells them it has to look like. Right. That's insane. So you moved to Ukraine, right? Like it sounds like you were able to get a better product. So that was one of my notes that I wanted to talk to you about is like when I consult with people, the number one thing I talk to them about is product always wins. Like you can have the worst marketing in the world. You can have the worst website in the world, but if you have the best product, you're going to win. And so like, where did you find, where did you find that advice? Was it the person that was helping you out? Was it going to, to, to conferences? Was it listening to someone's podcast where you were like, I have to make this product so much better? I, I don't think I heard it from anyone really, but a lot of people talk about differentiating and I knew like if I make this the best possible product for myself, for my own standards, somebody else will like it too, right? And like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's my background in, in architecture that tells me, hey, you can't, you can't design shit. You have to be on purpose, form, fullest, fullest function. And 
the look matters. Like I, I definitely believe that the surrounding you're in, even like it's, it's your home, it matters uh, to how you perform on a daily basis. Like I, I'm careful about my lighting, my uh, air movement, uh, everything I see around me in my office, because I know that everything affects us on, on a deep neuro- neurologic level. So that, that was my approach. Like if I make sure it's minimalist, it's clean, all the phones are playing well together. And I involved a lot of different graphic designers and cartographers. And I know it's the best possible design of the map, uh, even though it's just a world map. Like how do you dif- differentiate it? But there are some things you can do to make it look nicer as a home decor item. So I was focused on making it super functional, easy to track where you travel. Uh, so you, you sometimes have to adjust stuff. Not that you're against some borderlines, but you can't make it as precise as Google because then it's super hard to scratch, right? And stuff like that. Adding flags, like bottom part of the map had flags. And I noticed that a lot of people were saying in reviews that they like that from someone who tried it first. So I knew, okay, flags. If I nail flags, they look amazing. And I only have proper countries, not like some other maps, 250 flags. Like what's 250? We have 196 or 97 countries. <laughs> it's like why would you have extra ones? So I was super detail-oriented when, when I was designing this. And I knew that, well, quality is important for me. It's important for, for a, lot, a lot of other people. And if someone's buying it for them, they're probably looking for the best possible quality. There's always market for the best, just like the supercars. Like some supercars don't sell that many items, like compare Bugatti sales or Ferrari sales with Toyota. Obviously, Toyota makes more money, but I wanted to be more like a Bugatti just because I wanted to put my name out there and be like, hey, I create this, you know? Yeah, I think it's easy, just as easy to sell a product that's premium as, as it is to sell a product that's not, right? And in yeah. my experience, you're going to have better customers in the end anyway, right? Like, uh, I don't know. The people that are looking for a deal aren't, aren't necessarily the people I like to deal with exactly. uh, on the customer service end or have my there. team deal with. So, like, uh, we're on video now, but uh, this is going to go out as a podcast. Is that the map behind you? Is that is that your product? It's one of the, yeah, one of the variations. Not the most popular one. The most popular one is the black background, and the one I have in my office is white background. But I personally like this one. And that's actually where my Facebook community came in handy because I was designing this original map, and this is the one. That's the design. And I wasn't sure which one to launch, the black background or the white background one. And I already had probably close to a thousand people who like traveling in that group. They knew who I am. I was pretty active there. I was like, oh, I'm designing this product. Which one would you prefer, the black one or the white one? Show the images. And to my surprise, 60-something, I think 65% or something, people voted that they preferred the black background one. I was like, okay, good to know, because I definitely like the white one better. (laughs) So I did launch the black one and definitely no regrets because it's way more popular. So you talk about a lot of things that are what I would call like DTC, right? Direct to consumer mm-hmm. e-commerce. That it's not Amazon. When you when I've been taught Amazon, or there's a bunch of courses out there that all teach the same thing. They talk about being on Amazon and Amazon only. Like there's no need for an audience. There's no need for anything. Go take advantage of Amazon's algorithm. But in the beginning, you're building this audience. You're 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 getting feedback from people who are in your in your niche. You're creating the best product. Like how did how did you learn to be more of a brand? To be more of like a what I would call a real business versus just an Amazon FBA business. Now that you asked this band for, I don't know, second or third time, I think I I was influenced a lot by uh, content of Ryan Daniel Moran. And that's the first person I found on YouTube speaking about Amazon FBA and e-commerce. And he talks a lot about building an actual brand versus just taking advantage of Amazon. So I think some of the ideas came from there. And I was like, okay, he built this yoga brand on Facebook first before he had a product why can't I do the same? Everybody loves traveling, right? So I think that's where the initial inspiration came from. But then you consume a lot and 
you develop who you are. And I know myself, I'm not the most detail oriented person numbers wise. Like I'm, I, I never knew exactly how much I was making per month. I knew that it was enough, you know, enough to reorder, enough to reinvest enough to pay myself. So I'm not that like, I'm, I'm not a digital numbers wizard, just like some other people are, but I knew that I'm relatable and I can be open and honest and I can show myself like most sellers hide them, their faces. I don't. And I knew that someone will appreciate that and they'll feel like they're buying from another person and everybody wants to buy from someone they like. Just like we buy Apple products because we liked who Steve Jobs was mostly, right? So that was my thinking behind it as well at that time. How did you do it? Like, how do you build an audience in a Facebook group about travel? You have no products to offer. You have no info products to offer. How, how do you get the first 100 people to step into this group and talk to you about traveling? Uh, my own friends who like traveling. That's how we start. And then uh, I was part of a lot of other travel groups. I uh, was pretty active there too. And some people are, um, to this day, they're my friends, either real because I met them or through uh, Facebook that I was fairly well connected at that point that I could invite them to the group. And if they're active in other groups, they're probably going to be active in my group too. Right. So that was how I started. And anyone who could invite to the group that was interested in traveling would be in there. Uh, that's how we started. And then it, it, later on, like people look at the numbers, let's say my first buyers of the product, they'd be joining the group. They see, Oh, it's a lot, already like a thousand people in the group. So it's probably a significant group. I uh, may be able to get some travel advice, some recommendations, some stuff to, 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 let's say I'm looking for some hiking gear. There's already somebody else that can help me, right? So it becomes easier as the more people you have in the community for sure. Well, I think it's a real advantage. Like we kind of skipped over the actual launching part of like getting the product, you know, from Ukraine to Amazon. I think honestly, it's not too hard. So sign up for Seller Central, get it into Amazon, build your listing, which hit your keywords right right copyright well have great images and hit your keywords in the title uh and you're probably going to be doing just fine on amazon uh but building an audience behind there is like is like jet fuel behind it right so like kudos to you or, or kudos to ryan moran if he's the one that like convinced you to do that um but i would imagine that that was a huge boost of like getting your first initial sales getting the algorithm churning on amazon and then you know having people to, to talk to like you said that can tell you the the, the back black background is, is better than the white background. Yeah, that was super instrumental for sure because it's it, it's hard and lonely to launch something the old school Amazon way without having the ability to talk to your customers. Uh, to me, it was much more fun even going through some struggles that I had along the way when I had that support network, people who knew who I am, what this product is about, that I'm the one who created it, you know, and I was super helpful not only when it comes to my product i was helping people to get the most when they travel to berlin for example you know because i've been there right and they could see that care that i wanted to grow the community and make it like a super friendly nice place to be um and i think it goes a long way because then you launch a new product and you can be like hey i'm working on the on this map of the united states what is important to you is this this or this the most important to you on this map and then you get the real feedback from americans who travel right yeah i love working with people who are like it's them. The business is them. That This is you. You're a traveler. You're one of someone who wants to travel the world. And so talking to other people like you is just easy, right? And then just, you know, it's like building an extended friend group and then offering products to that group Absolutely. based on the advice they give you. you. You talked about struggles in there, right? So I'm sure you launched and then two months later, you sold for a half a million. I'm sure that's how it went, but uh, <laughs> there was probably a lot of years between there, right? Yeah. Looking back, <laughs> it seems easy, right? I would assume that you, you remember some struggle, but you probably remember 
not being super hard, but like talk through some of the struggles. Talk through like it, it's never rosy. There's always pitfalls. That's the way just life is, right? It's up and down and up and down. And so, what, what were some of the struggles along the way before you you know exited for a half a million dollars? Totally. So it was to to address the question about the timeline. It was three years in the making, uh, and I I would still be happy if I still kept the business. Right now, it's making much better numbers than it used to before I sold it. Uh, but no regrets there. So the biggest struggles, the big, actually there's a story that, that I like to share because it's the biggest struggle I had in the business. It was 2018, so less than a year before I launched. I launched in December 2017. Um, 2018, I remember crossing 20K a month. Uh, and to me as a corporate employee, it was like, whoo, something's working. That's amazing. I celebrated it with my wife in a Greek restaurant and I'm still working this nine to five job. Uh, then about two, three weeks later, I suddenly started receiving one to star reviews and a lot of emails, like more than average that I would ever receive from customers. And people were saying, Hey, I can't scratch this map. And I was looking at these emails and reviews. I was like, how, how come it's like all of a sudden it's, it's impossible. And if it's, if they can't scratch it, that's a huge issue. It's a scratch off map, right? <laughs> so I looked into the issue further, I asked some friends in the States to order the map and test it and tell me what they think if there's a real issue. And some of them were fine. Some of them were really hard to scratch. So I was like, okay, I keep receiving this one star, one to star reviews. And you know, with Amazon, if you get them, it's forever. Like it's, it's dangerous. And the rate it was going with was scary. Uh, so basically I had to make, to make a decision to recall all of the inventory from all of the other warehouses and be out of stock and fix it. So all of it went to a 3PL warehouse in New York. Some local people there inspected everything for me. They recorded videos, ran through my spec sheet and told me what wasn't done well. And unfortunately, at the time, I wasn't the smartest seller. I didn't have proper inspection process in place. So there was an issue. Like 10 10 to 15% of inventory had issues. Like people couldn't scratch the map properly. It was too hard. Uh, And it's it's a huge issue because you don't know which one is defective until you use it. And when you use it, it's no longer sellable, right? So I had to send all of this, like 5,000 units into garbage and work uh, out a solution with the manufacturer. And it, unfortunately, the, the manufacturer at the time, not the one I sold the business with, but that, that manufacturer didn't fully take responsibility for the issue. Uh, they were blaming freight forwarders for shipping it in a container in the middle of summer. It's probably too hot. That's why it became hard. But it sounded like BS to me because I know that we're selling to places like Arizona, Texas, and it's hot there all the time, like in some places. So it's, it would be, I, I would know about that issue before, right? So they still didn't take full responsibility, didn't cover all the costs. And for me at that time, it was like 35K US that I lost uh, as a result with all the expenses, shipping, inspections, everything, and even sending it to, to, to the trash can just cost some money, right? And then four to five months, probably close to five months, I was out of stock as a result. Um, two, three weeks later, I don't remember exactly, I'm laid off from my day job. So no more stable income and I'm out of stock because of this issue. Uh, and uh, 35K for an immigrant, that's a lot of money. I paid less down for my townhome back in the day. So <laughs> it felt devastating. But I don't think I was down for too long. I was like, okay, it's a big challenge. It's a learning experience. It's not done to me, it's done for me to learn something. Obviously I should have had a proper inspection process. What do I do now to fix this moving forward and to get back on my two legs and kick ass moving forward. So I did 
put a proper inspection in place. I found someone local who can do it well. So now it's a super rigorous process, like three-step inspection at different periods uh, during the printing process and packaging. And um, yeah, it's virtually impossible to repeat the same mistake now. Uh, and that made my business overall a much stronger system, right? So I, I had to sell my town home at the time to, to survive the downturn and uh, pay for the next inventory batch. Uh, and I'm paying for the next inventory batch. I know it's going to be in stock around December, which is great for giftable products. I'm buying a ticket to Bali. I have no place to live here anyways. I'm receiving my Canadian passport like two days before I'm flying. I'm like off to live my dream because that was the main pers- purpose of the business. I wanted to be location independent. And I knew that I can do whatever needs to be done from anywhere. And that was my plan. And December is back in stock. Uh, I'm crossing 50K a month, uh, which at that time was the, the most I've ever made. Uh, and I'm like, okay, good decision making and great that you decided not to give up and continue moving forward. You know, how big of a deal was it for you to be like, I'm going to sell my town. I just lost $35,000. I'm going to sell my town home and, and gamble once again. And, and like that had to be a huge moment for you and not an easy decision. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, not an easy decision. I remember when I lost the job, I had to apply for unemployment insurance. I was scared at AF because <laughs> I had to pay my mortgage, right? And I remember we were renting out a spare bedroom through Airbnb just to cover some of the costs. And then every weekend we'd go travel, explore the nearby mountains and the town hall would be rented completely, which makes the most sense money-wise. And uh, what else? I was delivering food, like skip the dishes as the app you use, just like Uber Eats, just to make ends meet and i was like okay i can recover this business if i sell this town home there's no other money i have and if i do that i'll be able to order enough for q4 and it's important to be in stock in q4 because that's when you gain, gain the most ranking the demand is huge uh or i can just uh look for another job i was like okay life is short what sounds sexier <laughs> yeah, well, was there any worry that like you're gonna get another shipment that is just destroyed like what that, right? i'm sure that worry went through your head i'm sure i don't know if you were married at the time but i'm sure uh your wife probably had something to say about that as well right 100 percent. and she, she was with me fortunately she's a great support network and she actually quit her job around that time too uh right after i sold the townhome and that was a big dream of hers to see the Everest space camp she's like i'm not gonna wait any longer i feel like life is passing by i'm flying to nepal I'm like, okay, that makes sense. We'll meet on Bali. I'll I'll fix some things here. I'll make sure the order's on the way. I'll join you there. You know, uh, it wasn't easy, yeah, for sure. But I I I felt like like it's all gut feel. I felt that I found a good inspector, and I was on the phone with them all the time too when the new order was in the process. So I knew that the new process ensures that we cannot pick up order with any deficiencies whatsoever. Yeah, but in hindsight, this all sounds amazing, right? In hindsight, it sounds like it worked out perfectly. But think about like the fact that you lost $35,000, you were out of stock for five months, you sold your townhome to try to make this right, your wife flies to Nepal to go to Everest Base Camp, and you're like, screw it, I'm going to Bali as well. We'll just make this work. And, and it did. It all worked out. Like, how fortuitous is that? But my goodness, that had to be an insane year. 100%. That was a fun year. <laughs> but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes men have to believe that it's going to work out. Yeah, because it's a great story, right? And at the end of the day, what's the worst that can happen? You'll have a great story. That's the worst that can happen. And and there, there are two two kind of kinds of failures that uh, I think it's from Jeff Bezos. He says there's experimental failure and there's operational failure. So if you're trying something new and you're doing something for the first time and you're failing, 
that's awesome. Celebrate it, learn, learn your lessons and move on because next thing you do is going to be better, right? But if you've been doing this for a while and now there's a failure, like if I have this same issue now with the product, if I were to keep the business, that's an operational failure. Bad on me. Like I'm just being lazy, you know? Uh, but that time I qualified that as experimental failure and it did work out because I had a strong belief and I was doing everything I could have. And it, when I do everything I could to, to fix it and to make it work, usually it works out eventually. Well, that's an amazing story. Th- thank you for sharing that. That's incredible. Uh, certainly there's, you know, struggles with Amazon that are going to happen. Yours sounds crazy. Uh, I went through something recently. It, look, I've, I've, I've been around the, the game long enough to hear people saying, my listing got shut down or this happened or XYZ happened. Um, and I was fortunate enough, knock on wood, that none of that happened to me until recently. Um, and, and it only takes, you know, one person complaining in the right way for Amazon to shut you down and make you prove yourself innocent, right? And uh, yeah. so that's a process. Uh, I sell on Chewy as well as on Amazon. Chewy doesn't respect my map pricing as much as I'd like them to. So the moment they adjust, Amazon takes my buy box away. And then I have to yell at Chewy and then yell at Amazon to bring my buy box back. Uh, I recently shipped two pallets on an Amazon trailer, LTL. They lost the trailer for four and a half months in the heat of summer, Crazy. which destroyed my fish oil products, right? Uh, then they, they reimbursed me. They gave me uh, what it would have sold for. And I was like, yeah, that was really nice. Then they found the trailer, took the reimbursement back, just took it right out of my account uh, and then tried to sell like products that were bad. Right. And so I had to close the listing. I had to pull all both pallets back out, destroy them, pay to destroy them. Uh, and then I wrote a nice, kindly written letter to Jeff at amazon.com and it's currently being researched. Hopefully uh, one of Jeff's assistants sees that clearly this wasn't my fault, but uh, there's a lot of headaches. I hope I someday have the story that you do that my, you know, my wife's at Everest base camp and I'm in Bali and we're all celebrating, but wow. Like it, there's no shortage of, of struggles. There's no shortage of ups and downs, but it doesn't matter whether you're at a job. It doesn't matter whether you're, you're an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Like this is how life goes. And so uh, I love that you chose your path through this. There's going to be ups and downs either way, but why not live the life you want to live in the process? Uh, and it, it, amazing that you sold your town home, that your wife goes to Everest, that you're in Bali and you're you know living this travel lifestyle that you're selling. Like your story is so phenomenal. And, and man, what a, what a crazy little adventure you just shared there. Like that's crazy. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, as you said, I also have love-hate relationship with Amazon. I feel like it's the easiest platform to launch in the e-commerce world, generally speaking. But the the amount of struggles you have to go through just because of the way it's built, just because the customer is their first priority, not the seller, it's frustrating. And that's probably why my big dream now is when I get into the next business, it's not going to depend on Amazon only. I obviously know the platform. I know how to do it properly, but... I'd like to have a proper brand and any, like any brand we know and we respect doesn't depend on one platform. It's a standalone brand. It has their own home, their own website and a, a, a Raven list of fans. I love that you say Amazon cares about the customer and not the seller. And when I step back and think about that, number one, they do, right? Like they'll take care of the customer no matter what, but don't you think they would take less customer service and take better care of their customer if they took care of the seller, right? If they got rid of all the Chinese sellers, if they got rid of all the shit that's on, there's so much garbage on Amazon being sold and people think that they're buying something amazing. Most people I talk to have no idea that you or me or Joe bag of donuts in Ohio is selling them the product. They think it's Amazon, which means they can respect it. They have no clue. And so 
I, I really get frustrated in that part. Like, I, I totally understand they're a business. They have to put in a gazillion SOPs, and that's why, you know, my listing gets shut down when somebody emails in something that's wrong. They have to do what they have to do, right? They have to have processes in place. But truly, if they cared about the customer, they would care about the seller who would take care of the customers, right? Uh, capitalism is about serving your customer. And so exactly, uh, we should be their customer. They should serve us who in turn would serve them. And it, I think it would make everything easier. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. It's just like um, when you run a business, you take care of your employees, then they take care of the, of the customers. Uh, so you don't have to prioritize as the business owner. You don't have to prioritize your customers directly, but you have to prioritize your company culture. And if everyone's happy in their workplace, usually they do a really good job, right? Same with Amazon. I would agree that if they took a better care with, with sellers uh, and treat them fairly, that would be a totally different situation for us and for everybody. Everyone would benefit. It's a win-win-win. Uh, but I don't know. It's probably just too big of a company to make that change that easy uh, at this point. And uh, for me, I just look at it. Hey, can I control this? No. So focus on what you can't control. You know. <laughs> it still is the wild, wild west, right? Like there's it so is. much opportunity there for anybody to dream up anything. It's likely selling on Amazon. You could likely create something better and create a brand behind it. Uh, it's yeah. It, a huge opportunity and and they're probably going to figure it out in time right it's it's still early considering they've only been around for less than a decade right of really doing this uh, really the internet the way we know it has only been around for a decade right it feels like our entire lives have been this way but they definitely have not been the way we know them now very true yeah i think better times are coming it, and e-commerce is really in its infancy right covid kind of pushed us ahead i think five ten years but if you actually sit down and look at the percentages of how much is bought online versus how much is bought in store, I think most people would be shocked. They assume a lot's bought online, but it's still such a fraction of a percentage of where all commerce happens. Oh, 100%. When I was starting off, I think the number was like 1% to 2% of everything sold was sold online. And I was like, oh, wow, it seems like I'm buying at least half of everything I buy online. So it means that there's still a lot of opportunity because there's so many benefits, you know? So it's, it, it definitely is still in, in its infancy and uh, Amazon is just leading the way. It doesn't mean it's going to be the only player. And I feel like uh, in the future, brands that get acquired for high multiples will be real brands, not just a general store that has a huge amount of listings on Amazon. At least that's what I hear from brokers and uh, from bigger companies who acquire Amazon-based businesses. They're like, oh, if it's only Amazon and they have no brand whatsoever, that's not our first priority. We're going to look for proper brands, you know? And I'm excited about that because I feel like that's what I can do well and uh, that's what, what actually matters. If I'm buying, I want to buy from the company I uh, have shared values with, not from forever cheaper. Yeah, and yeah, it's easier to, to serve someone just like you, you know? <laughs> Well, I love the uh, I love the segue that you're creating for me here because I want to talk about your exit, right? So, uh, I'm gonna guess that you went to Bali and your wife met you there after she went to base camp and and it all worked out, right? Because you sold for a half a million dollars. I'm sure there was a little bit of a journey there, um, but you sold and and I, I do want to dive into that process. So I've been through it. Uh, I've sold a couple. I've exited some partnerships. Um, I've sold with both of the companies. I think that you tried to sell with and saw. Uh, look, I don't want to rip anybody, but I would love to talk about your experience. I'd love to talk about my experience. And, and, and there's a difference there. I was shocked when you said you liked the company that I said I didn't really care with selling with. So uh, what was that process like? Like, I'm sure uh, long before you decided to sell, you probably had some things to think about of like, how do I make this actually more enticing to the market? 
For sure. And I encourage everyone who thinks of selling in the future to start that planning process at least like a year in advance because uh, there's a lot of preparation that needs to be done prior to you listing your business for sale. Uh, and that's what I did. I basically called a few brokerages. And I was like, what's, what's the process like? What do I need to do? And here's my goal. And it's funny because I, I wrote down that goal. Uh, to me, it was just a, a nice number, uh, probably one and a half years ago or so. So about one and a half years into the business, I was going through an existential crisis, you can say, <laughs> thinking of what I'm doing in life. Does anybody care what I'm working on day in and day out? Okay, if I exit and I sell it for at least half a million, it's going to mean that I've created something of value. So I wrote it down. My hand was shaking like 500,000. That's a lot of money for an, an immigrant like me. Um, and then I forgot about it. I, was, I kept working on the business. And later on when I saw it, I looked at the number. Uh, like the totals come to the sale price minus commission, broker commission plus uh, whatever payments you were receiving from Amazon until the closing date and then inventory. It's funny that it totaled to 500,238 and five cents. Not 500,001 500, or 499, like exactly what I wrote down pretty much. <laughs> so it's funny how how world works out. Uh, but back to, to the process. So about a year before I, I, I sold, I talked to a few brokerages. Some of them straight up said, oh, it's too small of a business for me. So look for someone else. Hey, for example, here's Quiet Live Brokerage. Here's Empire Flippers. They deal with smaller businesses. Talk to them. Where else did you go that told you you were too small? Uh, I think I talked to Corin Woodmess, uh, who's, who's, I don't know, you probably met him too. And he's usually dealing with businesses that are million dollars plus. Uh, otherwise, just not interesting to him because... It's a lot of work to sell a business, right? And I don't remember the other one, but there was some other company who's into buying and selling businesses. They were the same, like, oh, you're just too small. Just look for these other bigger companies who do this. So, yeah. And uh, in my mind at that point, Quiet Light Brokerage was uh, a no-brainer because all I knew is they were charging 10% commission while Empire Flippers uh, is charging 15% commission. So I'm like, if I sell it for half a million, I better lose 10% not 15. That's about it. So I'm going with Quiet Light Brokerage. And I like them. I think they're amazing people. They helped me a lot, like all the stupid questions I had at the time. Uh, and they do care about you selling for the most, for sure. Uh, I can't say enough good things about the people I worked with. Uh, but what I found comparatively, because later on, I decided to switch to Empire Flippers. Uh, and the reason was I didn't feel like I'm getting enough interest. And I, I wasn't sure if it's just me being in love with my brand because that's my life or it's actually there's not, not that much interest. And every offer I was getting was a low-balling offer and people really wanted to get the best possible deal. And to me, I was like, I'm not that desperate really. If I keep this business for another year or two, it's not going to be the end of the world. Like, I don't have to sell it. So I'm not going to sell it for that cheap. So let's see, maybe the other brokers can get better offers. So I decided to quit my uh, uh, agreement with Quiet Light Brokerage. It was like, I think four to five months, maybe a little more that we were trying to sell it. And the biggest challenge there too, uh, and I, I don't know, Ben, if you experienced that yourself, but when you get an offer, uh, specifically with uh, this first brokerage I worked with, you're off the market. No one else can bid and send you any offers. And then you go through the due diligence process. And usually in due diligence process, buyers would find something that's concerning, or maybe they say it's concerning and they find a way to negotiate and drop the price even further, you know, and it's never a pleasant experience. And 
later on, one and a half, two months later, you found with an offer you cannot accept and you didn't get any new offers in the meantime because you were off the market for all the time. While Empire Flippers on the other side, that they don't work that way. They have their own structure, which I enjoyed. I think that it's a super systemized business. I think the systems they built are amazing. Uh, there's definitely less personal touch because uh, you deal with different people at different stages of the sale process. Uh, but I feel like overall it makes sense uh, because of the volumes they have. And because of the volumes they have, I feel like they have a much bigger marketing budget and obviously their commission is higher. So they probably can spend more on getting the word out about what they do. And I felt like I got a lot more response right off the bat when they listed my business. I had like probably 10 calls within the first week and a half to two weeks. Uh, and all of them were qualified buyers. Like they make sure whoever submits, whoever even reviews the business information you submit. So profit and loss statement, all the information you fill out in the questionnaire. Even if you review as a buyer, you have to qualify, you have to prove that you have funds. Uh, and they're super strict with that. So I find that to be useful and beneficial for sellers. And then they have to do their due diligence with everything you as a seller supply prior to submitting an offer. So you're never really off the market uh, until uh, the brokerage receives 100% of the payment, which is fair in my opinion. So only when, and I think in my case, it was like they sent 10%. And then they sent the rest within a few weeks. Uh, and all this time, people were still able to find the business. And if somebody wanted, they could see it's pending, but they would be notified if it didn't go through. So that was nice. Uh, and the, the, only, the only big due diligence part that uh, Empire Flippers has that I think is good is after the brokerage receives the entirety of the payment, so not the seller, but the brokerage. Um, I know that as a seller, right? Uh, the buyer has two weeks of inspection period when they already have access to everything they need to run the business and they get to check everything they can think of. And they ask me any questions they have. I respond immediately because I'm clearly motivated for them not to withdraw their offer. And they, they still can withdraw their offer if there is a grand misrepresentation in whatever I submitted originally. Right. So I think that's safe for the buyers too. Yeah, it sounds like they've upgraded. So <clears throat> my experience was the opposite. Um, but I sold in very, very early 2016 with Empire Flippers. Um, and the process the process was good. It was very processed out. However, I was dealing with a different person every time I talked. Uh, their whole team uh, was based in the Philippines. And so I would get a message when I woke up. I would answer it. I'd go to bed and still have no answer. And then the next day, I would answer <laughs> again. And so it was like so frustrating, the communication level there. Uh, they didn't have the two-week grace period that you were talking about. Um, I'm trying to, there was a few other different. And I'm wondering if it's because like the buyers who bought my business had buyer's remorse. And we got on a call with with Joe, one of the owners. Uh, they started screaming at Joe and swearing at Joe. Joe, Joe told him to, to fuck off and call my lawyer and hung up on him. And that was the end of that. And then I, I know my friend Clint. Uh, that guy, their buyer had remorse and didn't make his full payments. Um, and, and so I'm sure they went through headaches like mine, like my friend Clint's, uh, and probably many others. And they were like, all right, let's button this up. Let's button this up. And so I, I'm glad to hear it sounded like you had a much, much more pleasant experience. I'm a huge fan of Joe and Justin Cook. Justin's an awesome, awesome guy. And so, uh, glad to hear things have changed because my experience was not great back then. Um, and my experience with Quiet Light, well, I was more passive in the business that got sold there. Everything I did see seemed great. Uh, um, 
I've gotten to know Chuck uh, at Quiet Light pretty well. I met him at e-commerce Fuel Live, and we hung out in New Orleans for a while. He's an awesome dude, and and they're at every conference. They're like you can't go to an e-commerce or a marketing conference without Quiet Light being in the corner. And uh, you know Joe Valley's awesome. Hundred um, percent. I think you can't go wrong selling there. But uh, it's interesting to hear that they didn't quite have the audience that Empire Flippers did, and, and it's definitely weird that they pulled it down while you're in due diligence, right? If you got an LOI, why wouldn't it remain up so other buyers can? Uh, at least know they're interested when the LOI, you know, maybe doesn't come through. Right. Yeah. I think, I think it's just part of their process. It, it, um, well, in, in my opinion, and I may be wrong, they prioritize uh, the buyers of the business. Um, maybe they had some experience too, where sellers grantly misrepresented what their business was about, what, what it was actually making. Uh, that might have been the case, just my assumption. And I think, as you said, Empire Flippers also learned throughout the years and improve their processes because to them, what was your experience was probably qualified as um, experimental failure and they just improved upon it. And I, I think I dealt only with uh, people in my time zones. Uh, one of the persons was in Magellan, Colombia, I think, but he was clearly speaking UK accent English. <laughs> so not someone who doesn't know any, like nothing about e-commerce, right? So yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I, Generally speaking, I wouldn't say like this, these, are, these guys are bad, these are guys are good. Uh, I would probably talk to both if I sell again. Like I had amazing experience with both. It's just looking at the results, I had a lot more interest right off the bat when I listed with them by flippers. And my assumption is just they have a huge pool of buyers and probably a little more reach. Uh, but I don't know that for sure. And I actually ended up in, in a bidding war too, which was nice. And uh, the way it works with Empire Flippers, which I was um, uh, amused to learn, when somebody submits an offer, you pre-accept it. And then there is 24 hours window for everybody else who's interested to submit a counter offer if they want to. So that's what happened in my case. I think my original offer was like for 350. I just responded, hey, I'm not going to sell it for less than 400K. No way. They're like, okay, here's 380. And I was already at the, at the stage in my mind, like, okay, it's it's the only offer I have. So I pre-accepted it. At that moment, their system sends out notifications to everybody who, who was on call uh, with me interviewing me for the business sale and uh, somebody else submitted 419. And the other person didn't counter that new offer. I was like, okay, amazing. And within 24 hours, you have a much better offer, right? And I, I'm, I'm glad it turned out that well because the person who actually bought the business is someone I'm confident will grow it. And that was also important to me. Like I want to see this grow. I want to see it develop and I want it to be a multi-million dollar business in the next few years. And I feel like I've built amazing foundation for that, but I just wasn't the right person to continue growing that baby, you know? So yeah, that was my experience. And if anyone's looking to sell, I'm happy to answer any of your questions and even introduce you to my person at Empire Flippers if there's a need. Yeah, and I think it goes out to even more than people you spoke to at empire flippers like i've uh i have a vip code with them that i got because i sold with them and so i've deposited on a few businesses i'm trying to find a content business currently um and anytime someone has an offer like you said i'll get an email and i've never have been on a call with a seller but i'll get an email right away that says an offer has come in you have 24 hours to come in at a full price offer and if you do uh you know you'll take the lead for lack of better words and so i do i do kind of like that process that it's driving it's almost gamifying uh, the process and enforcing her. Absolutely. Um, yeah, man, seriously, congratulations on making the sale. Like it had to be a, a wonderful day. Do you mind like touching on a few things that w you said you spoke with 
a, a few different brokers about a year, year and a half before you sold, what was the advice they gave you? What were some of the things they told you to shore up in your business so that a year from now you could sell at the best possible multiple? Yeah, that's a good question. Because uh, there was there was one thing that I was completely wrong about, and that was virtual assistant. I used to have a virtual assistant running most of the operations, but with a business of the size that, uh, that I had, it's it's not that critical as I learned. And I thought for the buyer, it's pretty much a must. They need to buy a business with a virtual assistant who, who knows how to run all the systems, you know? And I, I was approaching it for more like, hey, how do I make this as passive as possible? While when I talked to these brokerages uh, who selling, for selling the businesses, they were like, okay, let's, let me look at the numbers. Okay, you're introducing like 500 bucks extra expenses in the months. How necessary is this? How much time would you spend if you were to run this business yourself completely? I was like, well, it's still within like five to 10 hours unless I'm launching new products and I didn't plan to. So he's like, oh, five, 10 hours, that's nothing. That's what buyers expect to, to put in probably even more. If it's more than 30, 40, they'd probably be looking for a virtual assistant. If you have one, it's definitely beneficial, especially for someone who doesn't know how Amazon works and how to run e-commerce businesses. So I'd, I'd rather get rid of uh, that extra expense if it's not that necessary. I was like, okay. That's smart because trailing 12 months can look much better now for the profits and your multiple is based on your profits. So that was good advice at that point. Uh, and I did definitely learned that it's not that much work and I was easily running it myself and I was confident when I was explaining that in the interviews too. So that was one of the things and obviously you have to put your books in order. And as I mentioned, I'm, I'm not the best with numbers. I didn't have proper books ready. So the last eight or nine months before the sale, I improved the, 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 the order with the books and everything for the buyer to check stuff uh, dramatically. Like it, it was super clean. Before it was like, oh, there's some of my expenses. They're not really related to the business. I can explain that. But these are only the business. This is another business idea that I was trying. No, it has to be clean. It has to be easy to understand. And it has to be um, easy to correlate with your bank statements if uh, they ever ask. And usually buyers ask to, to, to see if there's anything you're hiding, you know? Do they ask you to be in accrual or in cash accounting? I know like you're in Canada, right? But in America, love them or hate them, Donald Trump allowed you to write off your inventory when you bought it rather than when it sold, right? So that's the difference. Like cash accounting, you can go buy inventory, write it off immediately. Accrual, you have to wait till it sells, right? This is why uh, e-commerce businesses look like they're rich and they have zero dollars to show because they have so exactly. much inventory, right? It's a and super so- cash intensive business for sure. So for taxes, I do show cash account- accounting option of it but for the sale uh all of them said it has to be accrual were you there already or did you have to backdate and and figure out accrual i had to i had to backdate it yes so i'm glad i started early (laughs) it doesn't sound like a fun i just went through that myself so i was curious like it's it's not a fun process to go through to to backdate and figure all that out uh look uh, so you sold Number one, I want to ask you why. Why did you sell, right? Like you, you already said the business has gone farther than it did. Uh, you had to know, you know, moving into quarter four, it was going to have a wonderful, wonderful experience in quarter four. I would assume COVID already made your business bump up a little bit. And so oh, yeah. Q4 COVID had to be appealing to you to not sell. So why sell? Why? What was the timing? Where you, you know, what's next? I still question myself whether it was the best timing, but I hugely rely on my gut feeling and I just felt, okay, it's the right time to sell. Uh, probably has more to do with my personal passion to to the business and what I'd like to do with my life than uh, 
than with the performance of the business because it, it was growing like crazy the last few months it was always up 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 every month i would update my pnl my valuation would go up you know and i was like um maybe i shouldn't sell it yet maybe i should wait until i have december numbers like a year ago december was 150k in a month in revenue uh i already have almost as much in november like looking back at it now December is going to be much better this year. So it's going to potentially be closer to a million dollar business if I sell it in a year from now. Right. Um, but I, I was like, okay, you're, you're not really creating much there anymore. And you excel when you create stuff, you better get into something where you can create, where you can be stupid again and learn new things and get uncomfortable. Cause you, I, I was very comfortable the last year and it's not a good place to be if you're, if you still want to grow. And like, I'm just, I just turned 30. I still have a good few years to, to, to learn and fail and grow. And that's what I'd like to do. I want to challenge myself again, because honestly, again, it doesn't feel like it's a huge achievement anymore. Um, it did feel when I said it's a goal, but now I'm like, okay, it's just a proof of concept. What do you want to do now where you can actually make a huge positive damage, mm-hmm. something scalable, something impactful, something that's going to change people's lives much better than a nice home decor item, you know? And yeah, that was the thought process just got feeling basically for me the times that i've sold so i've exited a few businesses the moment you're paid you're happy for like a minute yeah you like <laughs> truly at one minute you're like yes it, and and you feel like you hit a finish line and then immediately for me at least it was oh, now what right and i immediately felt yeah, the, yeah, my back against the wall i immediately felt like oh shit what do i do now uh and so how did you handle those emotions? It, it, it sounds like it was the same. Like, how did you handle those emotions? And like, uh, did you did you have a chance to celebrate before it was already you know on to the next thing? You know, the scatterbrain entrepreneurs that we are. Yeah, I haven't started anything really, but I'm looking into many things. So this time now is basically me celebrating, and I I'm definitely filled with gratitude because where I'm at, even though it's not where I think I should be, it's completely different life than what I thought I uh, I have in the future as a kid, you know? So I'm, I'm taking some time to reflect and I'm taking it slow with a new business for sure. Uh, starting journaling again, which is super helpful to put my thoughts in order. And I talk to a lot of people just like you and others in the space to gain some of their shared experience and make my future moves smarter and uh, more long-term. Because my, my next business is not something I'd like just to put together and sell as soon as possible. I'd like to, to build something that I can connect my personal legacy to, you know, and know that I'm doing something important. And every day I'm making this world a better place in a way, even in a small way. But I want to feel that, hey, this is not just a map. I'm actually changing people's lives. And I know it sounds super fancy when I, when I say that, but because I have such a high standard now with that little exit, I feel like it's achievable as long as I keep searching for it, you know? And for me, it's important to have fulfillment every day from what I do, because if I don't like who I serve, who I deal with, the kind of customers I have, what products, it's easy to give up. I, and I probably would have given up if the product I was launching and having issues with in 2018 wasn't something that uh, was an extension of myself. If it is, like, do you imagine Elon Musk giving up on SpaceX or Tesla? Like, no way. It's going to work out. And I'm trying to find that that new thing that would be at least that in, in, impactful for, for my life too. I'd like it to be like my legacy, you know? So if, yeah, the exit wasn't in, in the right time, taught me a lot, uh, gave me some new perspectives, taking it slow now. And I'm excited that I am in that position to, to have choices 
to not have to look for work, to to have that downtime to spend with myself, reflecting and figuring out what's my role in, in this world, you know? So I don't know if this will help you or not. Uh, somebody sent me a, uh, I believe it was Seth Godin on on Tim Ferriss's podcast. And he talks about three questions you should ask yourself moving forward. It's actually something that helped me get clear on like where I should go. Uh, and so the three questions were, what are you willing to give? Who do you want to serve? And what do you want to get out of it? And so what are you willing to give? Like, are, questions. like when you, when you want to get out of it, let's say you want to have SpaceX, right? Um, if that's what you want to get out of is a business as big as SpaceX and a vision that big, what are you willing to give? Because if you're only willing to give five hours of your week uh, and none of your money, you're not going to have SpaceX, right? And so what are you willing to give? It re- really had me thinking of like, you know, I had a, a nice little exit. I think I know where I want to go. What am I willing to give? A bunch of my time or am I willing to take some of the money that, uh, you know, that I'm grateful to have? and invest that in, in trying to make this vision come true. And so, and then who do you want to serve? Cause if you are serving a bunch of assholes, you're probably not going to like show up to work every day and like continue working harder. Right. And so the real question for like those three questions of like, do I want to give my time or do I want to give my money? Is that congruent with what do I want to get out of this? And then who do I want to serve? Really help me get clear on like where I think I'm going to go. And so uh, hopefully those three questions like help you, you know, in your journaling of like trying to figure out what's next for, for spot on timing. Cause yeah, these are amazing questions to answer. Uh, and yeah, I already have them noted. Uh, I'll find that podcast cause I need it. And you, you're like hundred percent, right. What I find from some other people who all of a sudden started, started reaching out to me now, they seem like they want to achieve something great, but they're not willing to put in the sacrifice needed. They're willing to pay the price for it. And there's always sacrifice if you're getting uncomfortable and doing something you've never done before. Uh, and as you said, like there's a huge sacrifice if you aim for the scale of SpaceX. Uh, for Elon Musk, it's his, his entire life, basically. Everything he has, he's risking everything. And it makes sense. I'm not sure I'm at that level, but at the very least, I want to challenge myself again. And next time I write in down a goal, I want my hand to be shaken again. Because I know if I constantly strive to break my limits and live that limitless life in all shapes and forms, uh, when I succeed, I'm helping others do the same because they see that, hey, this immigrant who doesn't even speak good English, he's, he can do this. Well, then probably I can too, right? Which means I'll be improving the world around me only by striving to do more than I thought possible, you know? So that's my big goal now. So I have a couple other questions around the exit. Uh, number one is like, first off, you have to pay stupid taxes in Canada. Anybody who's listening who's not <laughs> Canadian, they have dumb taxes. They have like California on steroids taxes from what I've been told. And so well, I, I have to disagree with you on that, Ben. All right. Tell me differently. I started looking into that because I was never interested in taxes. I didn't have much income before. But now I learned that if I had this business completely within the Canadian system, at least from the tax standpoint, I would save more money. Uh, And I agree that taxes are ridiculous, but when you're an employee in Canada, usually an employee in Canada would pay more in taxes than an employee in the States. Uh, It depends on the state, but generally that's the case. Uh, But with with businesses like my province, British Columbia, it's on the far West, uh, I think I would pay 11, maybe 12%. I think somebody said 11 more often than 12. So it's probably 11% of uh, my profits as taxes, unless I cross until I cross uh, 500,000 in profits. So let's say if this year I made 500,000 in profit, I'll pay 11% if it was completely within the Canadian system only. Unfortunately, my business was incorporated in 
Delaware, which is the best for foreign owners. So it's an American business. I'll still be paying taxes to IRS. And I believe in Delaware, I'll be paying 21% of my profits flat, like no matter how much I make. Um, yeah, but when you cross 500,000 in Canada, your profits are, let's say, a million. Uh, it's pretty much the same from what I hear. So it's the same tax here and there. So I'm, maybe I was misinformed. I was told uh, by some people we both know that it's like 50%. Like you're just paying 50% taxes pretty much everywhere you go. I, I spoke to them about one of our mutual friends who was looking to sell at the time about capital gains. And they were like, what is capital gains? And I explained America's system to incentivize you to grow a business and and, um, and, and participate in those gains or, or invest um, and this person, uh, again, maybe it was bad information, said there's no such thing in Canada. There's no capital gains. And so um, I was under the impression you'd be paying a large chunk of that to the Canadian government, which sounds pretty awful. I still will. Yeah, because now I have a Canadian company owned by American one and some of the profits will be sent as management fees. So there's, there's that complication there. So part of the money will be paid in, in Canadian taxes. Part of the money will be paid in the U.S. taxes. And it's not the most efficient system, but it definitely teaches me a lot and makes me want to think outside of those two countries for sure. Uh, because uh, I'm not sure if we're referring to the same person, but if you have a huge exit, um, it, it may make sense to have something like Cayman Islands Corporation. And I believe there, everything you make outside of the country is in text. So that can save you millions if, if that's a huge exit, right? And again, uh, up until half a million, Canada's better, at least British Columbia. Uh, but after that, I'm pretty sure it's more expensive. Because it's, I don't know, Canada is famous for free medicine and somebody has to pay for it, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a million ways around the taxes though, right? So if, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to episode 18 with Eric, the cash flow doctor, go listen to that. He, he talked through a bunch of this, including what you just referenced of like being able to build your business, excuse me, build your business in something like the Cayman Islands or, or somewhere where there's a tax haven and then license that back to the American company or vice versa. So that you're like all the profit you make in America, you pay in a licensing fee to the company who is based in a tax haven. And so you can't bring that back until there's, you know, um, tax break, like the country says, all right, let's bring all that money back. We'll, you know, bring it at a reduced rate. Just please bring all that money back to America and you can get it back in here. Uh, that sounds like above and beyond anything I ever want to try to comprehend. But Eric in that show, like mentioned a bunch of stuff for Americans, uh, you know, where you can, you know, move to an S corp and hire your children and rent your house to yourself a couple weeks a year. There's so many tax breaks that are built into Americans uh, that again, I didn't think it was in Canada. If there is, you should definitely take advantage of those. But my question around it was like, where do you plan to invest? Have you put any thought into like how you're going to make that money work for you moving forward? Uh, yeah. Well, I took advice from some other people in my circle who sold before. And their advice is basically don't touch it for a while. Let it sit for a few months, half a year. And don't rush with those decisions just because we tend to make emotional decisions far too soon. And sometimes we regret uh, after that. So I'm not going to rush with investing anywhere that fast. I'm obviously going to pay some in tax. Uh, and uh, my current idea is I'll probably invest at least half of it and have some other cash available for new business ideas. Maybe I'll invest more. I'm not too sure yet, but I'd like to diversify a little bit uh, just not to be in the position when, hey, the new business didn't work out and you're at zero again. It's way harder to start off again at that, position, at that point. So yeah, that's my thought process right now. Yeah, the upside of rushing is you get it somewhere that you don't have to pay taxes on it if you get it there quickly, right? So uh, you're in uh, a weird that's position. True. That's yeah. true. <laughs> but it is emotional, right? Uh, I, I know I, 
so I've exited a few, and I definitely made some dumb decisions. I made a few good ones. Like, uh, look, I, I bought a purple mattress after after one exit. Uh, it's like four thousand dollars. Buy one, definitely buy one. It is the hands down the best thing I've ever slept on in my entire life. Uh, but I've made some dumb decisions too along the way. Maybe I'll get into that on on one of these episodes. But uh, so what else are you doing? Like I noticed uh, on on your page. So go follow. I'll put all these in the show notes. Go follow uh, Andre on, on Facebook. He's got a, a group. I think it's just, like you have your own page, Andre Sidelock as well. You have the Traveling yes. Civilization. Uh, that's your old business. You have Limitless Entrepreneurship. You have a Facebook group there too, which... Uh, that's where I'm active now. Yeah. Yeah. You're 100% like that's the audience you should serve moving forward. Like you're, you're doing it all over again. You're repeating the same thing. But like uh, I noticed that you are also uh, consulting on the side or coaching with, with businesses. It says you only work with three at a time. Can you talk a little bit about that? And if anybody's listening, who might be a good fit to work with you? For sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm very picky. As you said, I, I decided not to coach more than three people just because I want to focus most of my attention on building new businesses, developing new systems. I feel like that's my uh, forte. But at the same time, I could see that people I talk to from time to time gain a lot of um, useful resources, energy and mindset tricks. And uh, some of my resources I've been using, some connections and stuff that help them propel super fast and grow their business. So I decided, hey, I, I should probably put a good framework in place and still share with others to pay back because I wouldn't be where I'm at without other people's help. I had some mentors in the way that helped me tremendously and I'd love to pay back with my own experience too. Uh, but I decided I'll only be coaching people who are already in the business. They already, let's say, sell on Amazon. They have their Shopify store, whatever. They're already in the e-commerce and I can actually help them. I talk to them and I see, oh, they lack something I understand well, and I can help them in the next few months. And it's always like no strings attached. Anyone can quit at any time. I can quit if I decide that I'm not gaining enough energy because I look at this selfishly too. Uh, I want to work with people I really enjoy working with. And I know that if I will have that constant interaction with someone who's crushing it, like they do everything possible, then I'll be more like them because it becomes my immediate surrounding, my immediate circle, right? So yeah, these are my criteria. And I currently have two people I kind of work with uh, fairly closely. And it's like once a week, we have a call, mastering conversations. Uh, I connect them to whoever they need at, at, at the right time. Not trying to overwhelm anyone with all the information, but only feed that information at the right time so they can execute right away. And I could see that they grow fairly fast compared to how I was starting off. So that makes me fulfilled with what I do there. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, I'm putting so much energy into this, no more than three people. You know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's where I'm at. And uh, it's, it's, it, it can be gratifying. Uh, I know you, Ben, talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. When you make an impact, it feels amazing. Like, like same for me, like uh, without some mentors in my way, I wouldn't even maybe thought of selling the business because uh, back in Eastern Europe, businesses are usually not sellable. <laughs> and you gain some insights that it are hard to measure sometimes. It's sometimes easy, but sometimes it's hard to measure, but it makes that mindset shift enough for you to jump to the next level and be even better than you thought just because of that flow of energy you gain from people on the next level. Yeah, that was a random question I had for you that I kind of skipped along the way of like, mentors are huge for me, right? I, I really enjoy mentoring other people. I enjoy like I have a coach. Uh, I've been in some masterminds paid and unpaid. Definitely recommend the paid ones. There's just more accountability there. But like, what, what did you have along the way? Did you have mentors or masterminds? Or I know I, I look, I met you at a conference, right? I would assume you're you're, you're trying to get out there. Uh, did you ever, you know, join any book? Did you join Ryan Moran's back room when you were there? Like, uh, wh what has helped you along the way? 
Yeah, well, first, when I was starting off and the cash was tight, I made sure I just consume everything I can find for free. And I agree with you, it's not the most effective way because there's no accountability. You're not that motivated to execute on it. It's just, oh, nice information. It's better than Netflix, you know. <laughs> but uh, I quickly figured that if I have someone who holds my hand and doesn't let me uh, find excuses, I'm going to move much faster. And if I pay them for that mentorship, uh, it's going to be well worth it because now I make more money, you know. And business is very straightforward. And I hired uh, a mentor um uh, I think it was 2019, early 2019, uh, who recently exited his partnership, but he was in the uh, supplement niche local here. Uh, no regrets whatsoever. He put some great systems in place for me. Uh, not that he did anything for me, but he made sure I do uh, run my business properly. Then I had another mentor who I met on the Capcom, uh, another amazing person. Uh, didn't really pay him directly, was fortunate that way, uh, but I, I made sure I paid back in any possible way I could think of just to, 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 to give back for, for, for what he helped me with. So both of these people have made huge improvements in the way I approach business. And I also put in place another system. Uh, I call it just a mastermind, and it's me and three other people around the same level with their Amazon FBA businesses. And we have... a we have an accountability system with money. So if you set a goal on our weekly call, we have to set goals. If you set a goal, you don't achieve it by the next week, but we have the next goal. Uh, you send 50 bucks to your favorite charity. If you didn't achieve that goal another week, so two weeks from the original uh, date set, then you send 100 bucks to the charity and then you double it every time. Uh, so obviously there's huge motivation to achieve your goals on, the, on a weekly basis, but also we made sure that the goals are proper. and that's what friends are for. They're like asking proper questions. Hey, why do you think you need to work on this? Uh, what are you aiming for? What are your goals for this year? Stuff like that. And you try to reverse engineer what their vision is and we help each other to set smart goals and uh, actually achieve them. And if there's some roadblock on the way, we're all around the same level. Like we're basically best friends. We help each other go through those roadblocks and still achieve the goal, you know? So these systems were detrimental to to my success if you can call it success and that's something i'd like to continue doing the mastermind is going to continue maybe i'll join some other ones uh, maybe i'll join some paid ones and uh, obviously all the conferences are well worth it and i uh, definitely miss going and meeting people in person that's for sure because i feel like it's more than just information it's to me it's seeing the real person who's doing something you'd like to be doing or living the kind of life you'd like to be living they have insights that are hard to put into words uh, it's more like energy flow, in my opinion. So, yeah, that that matters. Well, look, you've done some cool things. I know you got some cool stuff to share with anybody who's who's willing enough to like you know be a mentee and learn from you. So, what's the best way for someone to reach out to you, whether they want to you know be a mentee or whether they just want to join your groups? What, what's the best way to reach you? Hundred percent. Well, I'm fairly active on social media, and I uh, plan to be more active on YouTube as well about to post my video about the exit. So, follow me there. Uh, you don't have to by my mentorship I'm, I'm i'm never gonna sell hard on that but if you feel like whatever i share is useful just follow me on youtube facebook instagram it's just my name andre sadlak it's a-n-d-r-i-s-a-d-l-a-k uh, the facebook group is more um 
more like me sharing my journey. So anything I learn, any, anyone I talk to, I try to post my insights there as often as possible so other people can benefit from my experiences too. Uh, but if you want to schedule a call, uh, there's a link uh, in my uh, Instagram or Facebook. You can schedule it. We can chat and see if there's a fit. If there is a fit and I don't have three people already, uh, then I'd be happy to help someone crush it with their goals. Well, it was great catching up. It was good to see you again. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, man. And hopefully this is helpful to somebody. And yeah, let's let's make our dreams come true. Well, thanks so much for Andre for coming on the show. Uh, normally, I'd let the music play. I'm actually going to let it fade out right here just so I can take two seconds and say thank you so, so much. For all of you that have listened to one episode or all 26 episodes that I've put out in 2020, thank you from the bottom of my heart. This episode embodies what I'm trying to do. I hope it was inspiring to you. I hope 2021 is the year you, the listener, decide to set bigger goals, to go after what you want in life, to be truly happy for whatever that means for you. Uh, Andre clearly laid it all on the line and chased after it, and it worked out for him. And sometimes it doesn't, but most of the time it does. And it might not work out the way you think it's going to work out, but it's definitely going to work out. Everything always works out. And so I challenge you go after your dreams. Like, And if you aren't inspired, go back and listen to any of the other 25 other episodes that I put out this year. People from all different industries doing what they love and living the life they dreamed of. And, and I wish that for all of you. I wish that for everybody I work with. I wish that for everybody I meet. I'm truly living my best life. I've never been happier. E-commerce has changed the, the, the game for me. It has changed my life. It has allowed me financial freedom. It has allowed me to find uh, the life I want to live, the woman I want to be with. Uh, truly, I wish that for all of you, whatever that means for you. It might be completely different than what I have, but I wish that for all of you. So, if you haven't listened to any of the other episodes and you've been thinking about it, you've got a few weeks to to catch up before I come back. Again, I'm going to try to hop on my Facebook page or my Instagram and try to connect with some of these old guests and see if I can give something away. I still have a couple books from Justin Christensen. Uh, I still haven't given away the backpack from the episode with High Speed Daddy Craig Rizzoli, and so I'll give that away over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I'll try to do something cool. Either way, there's been so many amazing episodes that I would encourage all of you to like go back and listen to and just zipping through there. Kayvon, what an amazing story for the first episode of the show. What an amazing, amazing story. Definitely check that out. Number two, Brian Angel, who will be the first show when I come back from this break, we have ended our partnership. There's a little teaser. Uh, and we talked through the whole thing and the ups and downs along the way uh, when we come back, but go listen to his story. Episode number two, get prepped for that new episode. Uh, my friend Bree episode number three was amazing. Uh, and so I, I don't even need to go through these. I'll, maybe I'll hop on and do a little bonus episode and walk through why all of these are amazing but some of my favorites hands down cave number one if you haven't listened to episode number one go listen to episode number one with cave uh number four with tj was a three-hour episode but it was amazing number seven with taylor holiday the story of kalo rings amazing uh Jordan Samuel from Evo Hemp, just hearing what it takes to sell hemp and CBD uh, right now uh, doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, but uh, they're a huge company and they're having a lot of fun. Uh, look, there's so many episodes. I'll touch on some. If you aren't following me on Facebook, go follow the BK Show on Facebook. Go follow the BK Show on Instagram uh, or, or wherever you want to follow me. Send me a DM. 
tell me what episode was your favorite. I'll be in touch with you guys over the holidays here. I, I wish you the best for the rest of the year. Uh, and we're going to come back strong. Uh, I promised myself I would do 52 episodes of this show and I'm going to do it. So expect 26 more right out of the gates in 2021. Uh, I have some amazing guests lined up. I finally got out of my own way and asked some people on that uh, should have been on a long time ago. And so I'm happy to bring those to you. I have very exciting things moving forward as well uh, in my own life. And so I'll be sharing those on on my personal profiles as well as on the BK show. And so I look forward to what 2021 is going to bring. And uh, I'm just thankful for each and every one of you for being a, a, around this year and listening to every episode you have and sharing it with your friends and leaving reviews and everything that you've done for me. I hope I've been able to give back to you in entertainment value at, at a bare minimum, if not some some nuggets for your business, if not inspiration. Just thank you all of you so, so much. And, and I can't wait to see all of you uh, in the first Wednesday of 2021.